0: You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. It's a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg. I'm here with my co-host, David Ormill, and The Washington Post Ben Golliver. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about Anthony Davis's future in New Orleans, Kevin Love's future in Cleveland. We'll debate Nikola Jokic versus Joel Embiid and get to our Locked On line of the night. But let's start in Houston where the Rockets snapped the Denver Nuggets' five-game winning streak, beating them 125-113 to behind the two-man game of James Harden and Clint Capella. The Nuggets like to trap on the pick-and-roll, but Harden picked Denver's defense apart, feeding Capella in the paint over and over. Capella finished with a career-high 31 points, while Harden added a pedestrian 31 of himself. No big deal. He just scored 30-plus in six straight games in a row now. The Nuggets still keep the top spot in the West, despite the loss, but the, Rugget- but the Rockets now are rolling, David, What's going on there?
1: Well, they've won uh, eight of their last ten games, and uh, obviously the big story is hard and superlative play of late. Um, fully engaged there despite the loss of Chris Paul from the you know due to injury, he seems to be well into his MVP groove. Um, he's become dynamic again. I, I'm not sure to be honest with you what the difference is. maybe that's a, a problem on my end, but I'm not sure why this team is so much better than they were earlier in the season. I know you they went through a number of injuries – Um, They were kind of trying to figure out what their roles are, and obviously incorporating Carmelo Anthony was somewhat disastrous there. But at the same time, they just seem to have figured out exactly what makes this team tick. Now, the question, of course, with Houston, uh, depending on on James Harden as much as they have, is what they're going to have left for the postseason. At this point, Mm -hmm. obviously, you can just enjoy them and appreciate what they do during the regular season. But what they have left in the tank come April and June, I'm sorry, April and May uh, is anyone's guess.
0: Yeah, Ben, I don't know if you think, I, I know you were lobbying hard for them to sign Austin Rivers, and they did that. They listened to you. They took your advice. Do you think that, is, is it just Austin Rivers being in Houston? Is that the difference? Well, I think
2: to explain their kind of slow start and then their pickup, I think I think that starts with Harden, doesn't it? And it didn't he ease his way into this season a little bit? I, mm-hmm. I think that would be uh, factor number one. Factor number two is they had a lot of rotation turnover, and we talked early on in the season how they missed all those guys. Well, eventually you get through that phase of a season where it's like, "Hey, wait a minute, where's Ariza? Where's Mbamute?" And you, you know, realize the strengths and weaknesses of the guys you have uh, in place. And I think they've been putting together some pretty nice collective uh, performances. You know, you mentioned Clint Capella, you know, being so big for them. I think that was kind of my takeaway from this game. Uh, for Denver, this has been a dream season. I mean, at this point of the of the campaign, you know, where they are in the standings, you would take this a hundred times out of a hundred if you're a Nuggets fan, right? But I still think to me there's lingering mm. questions about playoff matchups. How well are they going to be able to compete with the top teams in that postseason format, you know, once you're locked in on an opponent, once you have to play the matchup game. Once your weakest links can get exposed, and to me, that combination of Harden and Capella, and they haven't even got CP3 out there yet, uh, is just devastating for a team that's going to, you know, be led by Jokic. You know, I mean, if it's not enough to try to keep pace with Harden on the perimeter. Or to try to uh, you know contest uh, you know Chris Paul in the mid range, having that vertical threat of Clint Capella is so dangerous uh, for a guy like Jokic, who obviously is is not getting off the ground uh, very high or very often. So, to me, the, the big takeaway here was, uh, if I was a Nuggets fan, I would be ecstatic about the overall season, but I'd be starting to get real nervous about you know the potential postseason matchups.
0: Yeah, I don't think we can overstate enough that Clint Capella, as well as James Harden, and even Chris Paul, who's obviously injured right now, but those three guys, guys—Denver's three or uh, Houston's three best players, all kind of did that same thing, like you mentioned, Ben, where they sort of had to play their way into shape at the beginning of the season. Capella is playing in a way right now that he wasn't playing at the start of the season. Defensively, he was ridiculous against Denver. He was I mean, he was guarding Jamal Murray at times 30 feet away from the basket. I mean, it was crazy. And, uh, and I think just those two, Capella and Harden, just Harden obviously playing his mind out right now, just single handedly over the last 10 games, just putting himself back into maybe the top of a lot of MVP candidate or uh, MVP ballots right now. Um, that all has a lot to do with their surge, is, And uh, they're, they're going to need to figure out a way to sustain that. That's going to include getting CP3 back, who didn't look right when he even was on the court. Um, hey, can I ask gonna you That's going to be a, a big question thing for them.
2: On the MVP thing, you know, Harden is like the MVP candidate de jure, right? But how much do we mm-hmm. value consistency? Because I look at a guy like Giannis, who started the season in that favorite position, had really maintained it probably for two months. When we're looking at those guys head to head, do you hold Harden's slow start against him? I mean, to me, I'm still ready to say Giannis should be the leading candidate for MVP, despite what Harden has done here the last couple of weeks.
1: I agree. I mean, it's an A2 game season. That's what you're voting on. And I mean, you can take uh, postseason consideration as a factor, too. But at the same time, it's uh, what you do from the start of the year. And the fact that he did start off slow should be held against him as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I've still got Giannis as my number one, um, as good as Harden has been. Harden to me is actually more competing with a guy like Anthony Davis for the two and three spot. I mean, I I know the Pelicans and we're going to talk about them in a little bit are not even like they're not in the playoff mix right now. But they are only about three games out, I believe. Um, of being like If they get into the playoffs, we really need to start considering even Anthony Davis with the numbers that he's putting up right now. It's insane. Um, so I think those three guys right now are up there for me. But yeah, right now, just based on the whole season, I've got Giannis. One thing that does also count against James Harden, I just want to say this really quick, but people are like, oh, well, they're not going to vote uh two time MVP. They're not gonna do consecutive threes. We know that the MVP race is really all about narrative and Giannis does have a great narrative going for him still. I think James Harden needs to flip that narrative and say, we haven't done back to back MVPs for a long time. I deserve it. Like make me the back to back MVP. I think he needs to embrace that narrative, him and his team or however that works, and go out and be like, let's let's go Russell Westbrook, triple doubles are a big deal. James Harden, back to back MVPs is a big deal and if anybody deserves it, it's me. I think he should go I should I think he should lean all the way into that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be the overwhelming guy to get a back-to-back like we saw mm-hmm. with Steph in that unanimous season a few years ago. For Harden right now, the narrative is emerging, though. Doing it without mm-hmm. Chris Paul, carrying the team, the turnaround from the ugly slow start where they're down in 14th place, and then also the Kobe-like scoring. I mean, that's a pretty nice package that he's putting together. I think if he winds up being the scoring champ, uh, I think he's going to be no worse than second uh, to me. And yeah. I think, you know, based on where he was a month ago, we wouldn't have guessed that, would we?
0: Yeah. No. And if the Bucks win 58 games, I think Giannis has got to have it. Alright, in our second game of the night, the Spurs beat the Pistons 119-107. to San Antonio fell behind early, 21-9. to Then Greg Popovich does. What Greg Popovich likes to do, he pulled his starters midway through the first quarter. That was enough to make his point. The Spurs outscored the Pistons 34-20 to in the second quarter. That's really all they needed. The Spurs are rolling now. They've won five straight. They've won nine of their last 11 games. This is and I love this stat from NBA.com's John Schumann. The Spurs have the best offensive rating and defensive rating in the NBA for the past month. They've now risen up to fifth place in the West. Ben, were we wrong to overlook the Spurs for the first part of the season?
2: Uh, I don't think that we were wrong, but they made some really nice adjustments, and it paid off in ways that I certainly did not expect. I mean, I thought coming into the season, this is a fringe playoff team. I mean, the way they've been playing, you know, it's almost like a top three seed here over the last four or five weeks has been unbelievable. Uh, There's a lot going on. I mean, first of all, you just have that sort of dull competence, you know, the fact that they're Mm -hmm. always going to bring energy and intelligence on defense every single night. You just compare them to the team they played. Uh, on Monday night in Detroit I mean they're just executing so much better their defense is always locked in you know Griffin gets his points but he's not really ever getting loose he's kind of in a controlled situation Detroit never had a ton of offensive flow on the other side you know San Antonio can score in lots of different ways I mean we really tend to harp on the mid-range stuff because of DeRozan uh, and LaMarcus Aldridge and, and they didn't shoot the ball great from outside Uh, You know, in this game, but they've got some real, real quality shooters that go, go, uh, I would say, uh, overlooked and underappreciated, whether it's Bryn Forbes, who's had a really nice run here lately, uh, whether it's Patty Mills, Bellinelli, who everybody remembers from Philadelphia, even Bertons can stretch the floor. So when they do get into that second unit, they can beat you from the outside, too. Uh, but to me, the most important thing driving San Antonio's success—it's the collective spirit. I mean, these guys are playing hard, playing together. That's a Popovich staple. You know, you mentioned giving him credit earlier, uh, and that's where it starts to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look—they're—they're they're, they're shooting tops in the league from three-point range at almost 40 percent that's incredible on less attempts than most teams at this point in the league but at the same time they found a way to maximize something that's not a big part of their offense and that's perfectly aligned with what the spurs do um, they were able to overcome injuries to their point guard uh, position they have two limited superstars in allridge and DeRozan, and at the same time greg popovich just finds a way to, to maximize whatever your strengths are and get them to play, like Ben said, cohesively as a unit. And that's been the hallmark of this team for 20-plus seasons. And it looks like it's going to continue to be a factor for the rest of this year, too. And I'm not sure what kind of noise they can make in the playoffs, but for now they are playing at a very high level. So that's that's been impressive. Again, I don't think any of us expected them to be this good, this dominant at this point this you know with all the injuries they've had. Uh, and again with the, the limited superstars but they've found a way to play uh, to their strengths and overlook any kind of overcome any kind of their weaknesses.
0: And look, DeMar DeRozan's the marquee name there. He's sort of, he's the new Kawhi Leonard. He's the guy that replaces Kawhi. Let's give let's give LaMarcus Aldridge some credit. He has been on an absolute tear over these last 7 games. And this is LaMarcus 33 years old. Just ju- one year removed from being on the uh, second team all NBA team there. Having a terrific season last year, he's back at it again. These last seven games, I mean, 25 points, 18 points, 23, 32, 38 points on 23 shots against the Clippers a few nights ago, 24 points, 27 points. I mean, he is playing the best basketball of his season. He's a big reason. That efficiency, right, that efficiency that he scores just allows everybody else to take those threes and make those threes and allows DeMar DeRozan to do what he does best. I mean, he's he's been unbelievable lately. Let's get to some headlines from around the NBA, and we'll start in New Orleans. In an interview with The Athletic, Anthony Davis, when asked what he wants most out of his career, said, winning more than anything else. The Pelicans haven't done as much of that as they'd like this season, and that could impact Davis' decision this summer about whether or not to sign that Supermax extension. When asked about that, he said, quote, gotta wait and see what happens, can't predict the future. A few days before, in a different interview for The Athletic, Pelicans owner Gail Benson Said that she really likes Anthony Davis, but quote: "If he wants to leave, you can't hold him back." David, is there anything the Pelicans can do now before it gets to that point? Yeah, some, simply win. I
1: mean, I, I know that's uh, mm-hmm. overstating it, but at the same time, one one of the things that stood out from that interview to me from Anthony Davis was that he said, you know, his biggest regret is not knowing whether or not any of the teams that he's played on could have maximized uh, their chances at any point during past seasons. Like you know, they've had so many injuries. Kind of uh, knock them off whatever path they were you know going on, you know Demarcus Cousins goes down last year, and while some could argue that that may have made the Pelicans better, um, it, it probably raised their ceiling to have a guy like Demarcus on that team um, and so that's something that's always stuck in Anthony's you know craw as far as being able to you know look at his career and never know whether or not he could have gone deeper further into the playoffs and maybe won more during his tenure in New Orleans. I think he's looking for something a little bit more simply. Uh, As far as what the Pelicans can do, not really. I mean, they can find a way to, again, get the most of the roster they currently have. Maybe they can try and make some moves, but you don't want to mortgage their future because at the same time, let's say you go all in right now to try and convince Anthony Davis to stay on this roster. You make a a move, you trade some draft picks or whatever assets you might currently have on the roster. Um, If Davis chooses to leave anyway, all of a sudden now you've kind of... Put yourself in a position where you might be a very, very a seller dwelling team for the next few years.
0: Yeah, that's a point of contention, Ben. I mean, should they go all in while they still have Anthony Davis on the roster?
2: Well, I'm not sure how much longer they're going to have him there. So let me go back to that point about the injuries because it's a really good one. It did jump off the page when he said that. When we look at winning organizations, though, don't the best organizations, the A-list organizations, the type of organizations that Anthony Davis should want to play for— Don't they sustain injuries regularly and still win at a high clip? I I remember your guys' favorite team, the Miami Heat, sustained a Chris Bosh injury in the playoffs, still made the finals, didn't they? Golden State, how many injuries have they had over these last couple of years? Curry, Durant, Draymond Green, even Klay Thompson missed some time. They were able to survive those win titles. The San Antonio Spurs, I'll always remember this, 2014 playoffs, Tony Parker goes down in the Western Conference Finals. We're all thinking, oh, wow, you know, series is is pivoting. This is going to change. Tim Duncan and the structure of the San Antonio Spurs you know, pulls it home, and they wind up going to the finals, and they win there. Um, I think Anthony Davis doesn't really understand how much greener the grass could get on the other side. I think that's a big problem, and I think we should really, really dial in on Gail Benson's quote here because what we've heard from Alvin Gentry is we won't trade Anthony Davis for Beyonce, right? We're not going to trade him for anybody. And yet Gail Benson says... If he wants to leave, we're not going to stop him. Isn't there an awful lot of distance in terms of your position as a franchise between we're not trading him for Beyonce and, well, if he leaves, so be it, you know, whatever. And I think from that interview, I really took away too. It seems like football was her main passion, right? Or, or her, her husband's main passion too. Mm-hmm. I didn't get this idea that, oh, you know, we've got to do everything we can to sort of recruit, like re-recruit Anthony Davis and build this amazing contender around him. to me, it it just kind of read like lip service. And uh, I think if I was a Pelicans fan, I'd be real nervous uh, hearing all this talk about legacy from Davis and then hearing a very meek uh, position, I thought, from their ownership.
0: Yeah. And as we know, it starts with ownership, right? I mean, a lot of the most successful teams, again, like you said, Ben, they sustain injuries. They also have great ownership. I mean, that's the thing that they have is that they're able to just have a top to bottom message and, and just sort of um motto that they kind of just practice with and that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case in New Orleans and that that Anthony Davis quote about the fact that they could have won it all he felt like they could have won it all had Boogie not gone down with his Achilles tear uh i think you're right ben i just i don't like that's ridiculous i don't think that that's the case nobody would nobody thought that they could have won the title with boogie they wouldn't have won the title if boogie was healthy and let's not forget that when boogie went down they went on a tear for that second half of the season when they put Miritich in there at, at that stretch four position and played Anthony Davis, where he belongs, at center. I mean, that worked for them, and that's a big reason why they were able to sweep the trailblazers in that first round. So um, I don't buy any of it. I think that Anthony Davis, uh, it, it's unfortunate that he doesn't know how green the pastures can be elsewhere, but um, hopefully he recognizes that that could be the case, for at least for his career, because if indeed winning is the most important thing... He's just not doing it in New Orleans, and it's a shame. But it's just not—I I just don't see a way that it happens. It just—it does, doesn't seem to be in the cards. And, and
1: one of the things that stood out—he's pitting his hopes on the return of Alfred Payton. That's not going to necessarily get you anywhere. <laughs> if, if that's the one thing keeping him in New Orleans is the help of Alfred Payton, see you later, Davis. Uh, you're gone, buddy. I'm sorry.
0: All right, let's go to Cleveland where Kevin Love, who has sat out most of the season with a foot injury, told reporters on Monday that he's still several weeks away from getting back on the court but intends on playing again this season. When asked about a possible trade, Kevin Love said, quote, we'll see. If not, we will wait until summer. I don't know what's going to happen. I've said all along I've wanted to be here, here being Cleveland. Ben, should the Cavs keep Love and hope he gets healthy or should they just look to trade him now?
2: I mean, I think it's going to be pretty tough to trade him now based on where his salary cap number is and how long his contract is going to run. So I do think there might be, you know, much ado about nothing here. Now, next summer, okay, when teams are reshuffling and certain teams are missing out on the A list free agents, are they going to be willing to talk themselves into, uh, you know, Kevin Love as a backup option? You might be able to convince me of that fact. But, um, you know, I think it's kind of in everybody's interest right now for Cleveland. To just let him take as long as possible. And I, you know, to be honest, I feel about the the same way about Chris Porzingis in New York. Like, I start to do this mental exercise of, like, where should Zion land? And basically, any team that's like in the mix for him really just needs to make sure that they get finished in those uh, bottom three spots to maximize their odds to get him. Because imagine how much better off Cleveland would be as a franchise with Zion on the court next year rather than, you know, Kevin Love, you know, racing back this year to kind of help them you know, make a little late season push, uh, you know, for respectability. And same thing with the New York Knicks. Just keep taking these double digit losses. Who cares if you have a good shot to add Zion and all of a sudden you're pairing him with Porzingis. That sounds pretty good Uh, to me. I think the Kevin Love trade stuff. Let's back off. Let's let's circle back on that in July.
1: Yeah, I have to agree there. I I don't I don't see that they can find a suit, a suitor for him at this point because of that contract situation. And Um, You know, he's not going to play much this year. And even if he did, what kind of impact could he potentially make? There's no point in rushing him back um it gives him a nice he's a nice complimentary player I I think at this point in his career he's learned how to mold his game and adapt a little bit and he's changed it up somewhat uh from the player he was in Minnesota at the same time if he's beloved in Cleveland why not keep him there I mean Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what package you could get in return for Kevin Love uh you know at this stage so why not see if you can pack it you know pair him together with uh, another player in the draft or maybe some impending free agent. Who knows? Uh, I don't think anybody's going to want to sign in Cleveland, but at the same time, uh, at least you have the foundational piece for a future there, so that's something to, to, to you know hang your hat on.
0: Yeah, you know, I think Kevin Love's value, as far as a trade asset right now, has never been lower. I mean, he's coming off of a finals where he didn't play all that well, um, and he didn't really play all that well. Like, he didn't match up well against the Warriors, and I think there's like a sour taste in people's mouths from that, but Kevin Love's still a good player who can get you to the playoffs and or at least help you get to the playoffs and and play well in the postseason even if it's not a, even if it's a matchup situation against the Warriors is an ideal um but he's not viewed as that right now and his value hasn't been lower so if you're Cleveland I think you let him rest I think you try to get him onto the court at the end of the year just to let it, like to to sort of show him off and say look Kevin Love he's healthy he's good um somebody trade for him this summer that's probably like the best that they can hope for at this point but it, I agree hey hey, uh, hey probably Wes, not happening here's at a trade qu- deadline
2: Here's a trade question for you next summer. Let's say the Lakers don't find a way to pry away Anthony Davis. Oh my would Kevin gosh. Love would no. Kevin Love be a backup plan? Could LeBron, you know, decide to, you know, get the band back together in LA?
0: No. J.R. Smith might be available too. So boy. Just boy, boy a lot
2: of anti cav sentiment here. I don't know, man. You look at the way these young guys are playing without LeBron. He does need some help, doesn't he?
1: Oh, absolutely, but I'm not sure if Kevin Love is the answer. Despite the ties to UCLA, I'm not sure if uh, he's the fit there that they're looking for. Anthony
0: Davis is going to the Lakers anyway. Kevin Love doesn't fit. I thought he was time. going to the
1: Clippers. Didn't you predict that he'd be a future Clippers? No, no, no.
0: Kawhi, Kawhi and Durant oh, are going that's to the Clippers. Right. Davis is going to the Lakers. Yeah, okay. everybody ends up, ends up in L.A. <laughs> um, all right, quickly, finally, before we move on, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid have been named the NBA Players of the Week for the Western and Eastern Conference. If you were to start a team today... Which one of these centers would you pick, Ben? Let's start with you.
2: I'd go Jokic just because no health concerns. Uh, that'd be the the only reason why. I mean, if, if both are guaranteed full health for the next decade, I would take Embiid. Um, I do think Embiid needs to sort of uh, look in the mirror a little bit when it comes to his own shot selection. You know, he's been kind of like pointing the finger at other people saying, you know, I, I don't want to take as many threes. This guy jacks a lot of shots that he doesn't need to jack. And he's still a little bit too pr- uh, turnover prone. Uh, for my liking, but I think the difference between those two guys defensively is wide enough that if you knew Embiid would be healthy, uh, you would take Embiid and, and feel pretty comfortable that you could have a, a top five defense built around him and still a very very good offense.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to argue against Embiid because he is so so much of a, a better defensive player, and of course his offense is pretty great too. But at the same time, you know those health concerns are an issue. Uh, but I, I like. Jokic is a foundational player there because I think he's one that you could put more players around and would be happier playing alongside because of his incredible passing, because of the free-flowing offense that he commands there. To me, he's the kind of player you'd want uh, to have as a teammate rather than a guy like Embiid. As great as Embiid is, I think we could see that that would rub people the wrong way as his teammates were seeing that chemistry play out, or lack of chemistry play out in Philadelphia. Uh, and I think it's a, a concern. So to be honest with you, I'd rather have Jokic.
0: All logic points to Joel Embiid, but I can't believe I'm about to do this. And I think all three of us are going to say Jokic because, look, I, it's anecdotal evidence, but I just spent a little bit of time with Denver and I kept talking to their players about You know, what's making this team so unselfish? Why are they such a good passing team? Why are they rated in so many metrics as the top passing team in the league? I know Jokic is up there, but he's only averaging seven and a half assists a game. He's not all of their assists. And they all just said, no, Jokic makes us do it. Like, he's infectious. He makes us want to play this way. And, like, Jokic has put himself in the MVP conversation, at least, because of that. And when you talk to guys on the Sixers again, anecdotal evidence and not necessarily the end all be all, but they say Embiid's great. Like he's kind of a goofball, he's sort of funny, like great personality. They don't talk about how his style of play is infectious and raises the game of everybody else on the roster. Like it's not really the conversation around Embiid. Again, that's not what this all hinges on. Embiid is by far like has a way higher ceiling than Jokic, and I think all three of us could look like idiots having done this exercise or so, like 3 years from now Embiid is healthy enough to play, you know, 70 to 75 games a season. And it's probably one of the top five players in the NBA. But right now I'm taking Jokic. I just, I'm into it. I like, I like what the Nuggets can, are doing. Can I push back
2: a little bit here against our group think? I do, th- I do wonder whether that hot take question of can a guy be the best player on a title team? I wonder if that's going to apply to Jokic. Uh, I think he's made strides defensively. But I really think that matchup wise, like we saw with the Rockets game, uh, you know, Monday night, but it's been an issue for multiple years. I mean, you know, Rudy Gobert, defensive player of the year type guy was getting spun in circles by Steph Curry in the playoffs, right? Like what's going to happen when Jokic is on that stage? And that really makes me nervous. In my mind's eye, I can envision Embiid as the best player on a title team much more easily than I can. Jokic as the best player on a title team, even though I agree with everything you said about Jokic's ability to make his teammates better.
0: Are you having second thoughts? Do you want to switch or are you still sticking with Jokic?
2: No, I mean, I would stick with Jokic only because of the health. I mean, to me, the greatest ability is availability. As you guys know, it's one of my you know, pet phrases that when you've got a guy with that many lower body injuries with Embiid, uh, it would just scare me off if we're talking about you know a 10-year time frame.
0: Before we get to our Locked On line of the night, let's check in on the other scores from Monday, David.
1: Kyrie Irving returned after missing two games with an eye injury and scored 17 points in the Celtics' 116-95 win over the Nets. Giannis scored 30 points against a tough Utah Jazz defense. Rudy Gobert gave him some problems early on, but the Bucks figured it out, beating the Jazz 114-102. The Pelicans beat the Grizzlies 114-95 as Anthony Davis finished with 36 points and 13 rebounds. The Lakers and Mavericks played an entertaining game, but the Lakers managed to pull away as Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball combined for 50 points. They got the win, 107-97. to 97. And as for the late games, the Trailblazers beat the Knicks 111-101, to 101, and the Kings beat the Magic that are no longer fun anymore, 111-95. to 95. And that's Monday Night Scores.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to our locked-on line of the night there. Um, three main candidates. Stick out. Anthony Davis, 36 points, 13 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 blocks, 2 steals in their win. James Harden, 32 points, 14 assists, and 5 rebounds in the Rockets' win. And Blake Griffin, 34 points on 13 of 21 shooting, 8 assists, and 2 rebounds, but his team lost. Ben, who is your Locked On line of the night?
2: I'm going Anthony Davis, not just because of the numbers, but because you know he went head to head against Jaron Jackson Jr., the guy who wants to be the next Anthony Davis. And uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. only had 12 points, one rebound, was in foul trouble all night. Some of that from Davis, some of that from other guys. Uh, that is how you show a young pup how to play at a high level.
1: Yeah, I, I think Giannis. Uh, that that Jazz defense, uh, giving them credit. And again, like you know, you I mentioned Gobert. Was was harassing uh, you know, Adidakumpo a little bit there, but they managed to find a way to pull away there. And I know a lot of that was Brooke Lopez shooting from the perimeter and everything else. But at the same time, it was a very tight game, uh, and, and Adidakumpo still had a pretty big night to to carry that team to an important win there. They, Wait a
0: minute, you just went Giannis. You went off the board. I gave you Anthony Davis, James Harden, Blake Griffin. You went off the board completely and picked Giannis with I did. his thirty points on thirty shots.
1: Sorry, I, I
0: thought it well, was a better game. West you should. It... You should have given him better options, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I just want to shout out the fact that we've probably mentioned Jaron Jackson by we, I mean Ben, like for three or four straight weeks now on this show. I think we should just rename it Locked On Jaron and just be done with it. Um, my Locked On line tonight also goes to Anthony Davis. 36 points, 13 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 blocks, 2 steals. Unbelievable. Just doing it. If like James Harden did some other stuff, I would have given it to him, but Anthony Davis was just too dominant in that game. All right, finally, we've got eight games. Tonight, the Indiana Pacers versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Wizards play the 76ers. The Nuggets play the Heat. Hawks play the Raptors. Timberwolves and the Thunder. Kings versus Suns. That should be a doozy. Knicks versus the Warriors. And the Hornets versus the Clippers. David, which one gets your bowl of cereal?
1: Oh, you know, this is a tough one. I'm tempted to go Denver at Miami just because, well, Denver's a fun team to watch. And they're coming on the second night of a back-to-back. Miami looks pretty bad, or they look pretty bad against the Atlanta Hawks there, so... They'll probably bounce back, uh, knowing Eric Spolstra and the way he works his team. That should be a fun one, but you know what? I, I still don't have much faith in the Heat. Uh, I'm curious to see what the Minnesota Timberwolves do at Oklahoma City against their tough defense there. In the post-Thibodeau era, uh, how that team responds to me is, is the most interesting aspect of Tuesday night's game, so that's my game of the night.
2: The, the debut
0: of Ryan Saunders, Ben, is it, do you have the same thing?
2: Uh he read my mind. Absolutely. We got a thirty-two-year-old assisted coach stepping in as an interim coach, and his first game he gets thrown to the Wolves on the road against the NBA's number one defense. Uh, plus, you know, an MVP candidate of Paul George, plus a triple double machine in Russell Westbrook, plus Steven Adams in the middle, who's having a really underrated great season for the Thunder. Uh, good luck, Ryan, good luck. <laughs> You're going to need that uh, fired coach bounce, you know?
0: Paul George is must-watch TV for me right now, the way he's playing, even like just defensively. Like, he is he's my number one defensive player of the year candidate. I just think he's scary. Like, he literally scares ball handlers. He's been awesome. I, I just, I watch the Thunder every time I get a chance now. Um, and you mentioned Steven Adams. Just going to give your uh, piece, Ben, a shout-out. You did a piece on Steven Adams and his relationship with the All Blacks um, for the Washington Post. Uh, listeners, make sure you go check that out over there again at the Washington Post. Um, really good feature on him. Same thing. Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Thunder is my serial.
2: Yeah, one real quick thing on that. I mean, loose balls recovered. Every single hustle stat, whether it's Adams, George, deflections, even what Westbrook's getting in on it now. I mean, their defense is mm-hmm. much better than it was even last year when it was really good or even two years ago when it was pretty good. They've just gone to a whole different level. George, like you're, you're saying, is the head of the snake, but you know whether it's Adams, Westbrook, every, every spot, they're bringing amazing energy.
0: Are we buying Russell Westbrook for all NBA defense or all defensive team? Because there's been a little bit of that. There's a little bit of the, the PR machine pushing that lately. Uh, but with the fact that he's leading the NBA in steals, like you have to kind of consider him for it. Like, no. I think he's there, right?
1: No, 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 no. It's like a defensive back that has a lot of interceptions. <laughs> it's just a defense that's geared towards it. Westbrook's on-ball defense is still pretty horrific, to be honest with you.
0: I don't like
2: awarding the guys who don't play for four years, then they really crank it up, and now all of a sudden we got to give them credit for it. Or you know, it's sort of like the reverse of the the legacy guys, where you know Kobe was getting all defensive selections for years after he really deserved it. So I would say tap the brakes but I do think credit is in order we just don't have to go overboard
0: I'm just like I'm with you Drew Holiday Victor Oladipo Josh Richardson guys like that that are just much better consistently defensively than Russell Westbrook I'm just saying if he's going to lead the league in steals he's getting voted in I just I think that that's just the way the voters work that if he leads the league in steals he'll make an all defense team I just think that that's how it works um, all right, well, that's all we have for today. Make sure to subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. And remember that you can listen to the show by telling your smart speaker to play a podcast Locked On NBA. Thanks to David Ramill and Ben Golliver for jumping on. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time.